I'm in my basement right now. I'm still in my living room. I've been in the same living room for the past four weeks. Hi, I'm Raman. I'm Ryan. How many weeks has the pandemic been going on? Honestly, probably about three months, but, <laughs> but no, we only we really weren't... caught on a few weeks ago. This is Comics by Quarantine, where Raman and Ryan talk about comic books. I think that's what this title any... is, at least. We, we, we keep changing it every week. But is it comics in quarantine or, or quarantine comics? Well, what's the point of the show? The point of the show is we talk about comic books we like and we reread them, kind of like a book club, a comic book club. And what are we doing this week? We're doing... Scott Pilgrim, one of my, I, you know, I got to couch this. I was going to say one of my all-time favorite comics, and it was when I read it the first time. <laughs> yeah, Scott Pilgrim, I'd seen the movie. I was familiar of the, with the Scott Pilgrim comics, but I had not read it until this podcast. It's an interesting series because it's both very, very fresh. It feels like some of the techniques that... Brian Lee O'Malley, the creator, uses like, you know, addressing the audience directly, the integration of all these video game tropes yeah, is really, really unique and has a lot of energy. But on the other hand, there's a lot of things about Scott Pilgrim that also feel really, really dated. Well, before we go further, can I, for our readers can or listeners, I guess, can I give them a little bit of background on what it is? Well, you may absolutely give our listeners a little bit of background. All right, I'm totally seeing this from Wikipedia, but Scott Pilgrim was first published in August 2004. It ran till July 2010. It's a series of graphic novels by Canadian author and artist Brian Lee O'Malley about Scott Pilgrim, a slacker and part-time musician who lives in Toronto and plays bass guitar in a band. He falls in love with an American delivery girl named Ramona Flowers, but must defeat her seven evil exes in order to date her. And the series consists of six digest-sized black and white volumes. And that's about it. And then there was a famous movie that Edgar Wright made with Michael Sarah and a few other people. And a lot of people only know that. They didn't know the source material. I discovered this right before I moved to New York. Were you? I definitely am not cool enough to have discovered it in 2004. I was really trying to remember how did I discover it. I, I actually have no idea how I discovered it. But I think I was reading Volume 1 or Volume 2 when I lived in Cincinnati, maybe in 07, 08, I definitely had just moved back to the States. And it's not that I didn't read independent comics. There's plenty of Vertigo stuff and things that I just, I was very well aware of. I, I was kind of biased against black and white stuff. I didn't like manga. And I, I genuinely cannot remember how I found out about this. And I read it and it just blew my mind. It was at the time. To your point, it just blended all of these genres together. And it there's just, I don't even want Easter eggs are the wrong way to describe it. It's just like, kind of like how 30 Rock episodes are so deep. Like you have to watch it or pay really close attention or you're going to miss all the goodness or on a second or third viewing. And those first few volumes because I that I picked up, I, was, I read them over and over again. I was just like, this is amazing. So that puts you in your mid to late late twenties when you're when late, reading late tw- late twenties or I mean the age of a, a little older than a lot of the characters in the book. Okay, yeah, because they're all in their early twenties. And it, you know what it reminded me of? So I was kind of straight laced. I didn't drink till I was twenty two, and I had a lot of hipster friends in college that some were in engineering, some were in like the environmental council with me, 
but they kind of had their own crowd. They would like go set up croquet sets and then go drinking and then go play those on those croquet sets late at night in the parks in Tuscaloosa. And then I went to business school and I went and got a corporate gig and I didn't hang out with those people anymore. And reading Scott Pilgrim <laughs> made me think of like those people, those kids who were cooler than me, even though they didn't have any money, they didn't have the cool job. Maybe they were in a band. They're all dating each other. It just, it was escapism for me. It was like, wow, I can relate to these people, but I am not these people. I know these people, but I don't hang out with these people because I'm a corporate guy. Yeah, anyway, that's where I well, was. When, when did you discover it? I had seen the books around in my comic shop, so it was known to me by name. And then the movie started to come out, and I like Edgar Wright. I had a big crush on uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who plays Ramona Flowers in the film. Yeah. But I never actually ended up reading it until recently, you know, for this podcast. And I'm I'm 37. And I kind of wonder how I would have reacted if I read it when I was in my 20s. I think it probably would have it still it still resonated with me. But I did I did get the sense these are very young characters, you know, they're because they're kind of going through you know, it's just basically they're just kind of cycling through their dating life. Or Scott Pilgrim's kind of cycling through his dating life. And he's still, he's basically a boy who needs to learn how to grow up, which he kind of starts to do towards the end. I think he kind of gets an idea of how selfish and self-centered he kind of initially was. He kind of realizes he treated a lot of people, I think, sort of unfairly, you know, as he was growing up. And so there's this evolution, you know, of, Scott, of the Scott Pilgrim character of his ability to kind of have a, an, an adult relationship. So that's what struck me when I read it. I mean, obviously, there's the video game stuff. That's very, very flashy. But the core of the, the book, I think, is this kid who's trying to learn how to be an adult. So when I first read it, right, I was obsessed as every volume came out. I looked in my Gmail for earliest mention of Scott Pilgrim, and the earliest one was somewhere in May 2008. It was an Amazon receipt of me buying it for another friend. I think I bought it for a bunch of friends. But back then, when it was volume to volume, waiting for the volumes to come out, so 08, probably three or four of them had come out by then, and they had announced the movie, I was going along with it. And I don't know if I reread them. I probably reread them all in one sitting prior to the movie coming out. The last volume didn't come out when the movie came out, but it had been mostly done. I guess what I'm trying to say is, upon reading them all in kind of one sitting over two or three days... I didn't like Scott growing up. Full stop. Okay, good. I, I want to talk about this. Yeah, because it's like, so volume one, two, three. I, so I moved to New York in 2009, and I went to New York Comic Con right after I moved here, skipped work for a day. And the only reason I went was because Brian Lee O'Malley was going to be selling Scott Pilgrim volume five early. And so I went and I met him. I had him sign my volume one and my volume five. I had him do a custom drawing for me, which I did for, I used for something else afterwards. And that's kind of when the book, I don't, it's not jumping the shark. I just like, okay, I guess character development. It just, I have not found many things in pop culture that build a following, get really popular as Scott Pilgrim did. And I just don't see that. I don't see them sticking the landing in whether it's the last season, the last couple volumes, etc. I think one of the only things I've seen successfully do it in recent history is the Expanse books. But yeah, Scott Pilgrim, volume five, probably midway through four, 
I just wasn't feeling it. What didn't you like about the, the later books? I, I do want characters to grow. And Scott does grow, and I'm glad him and Ramona get to live happily ever after. I just felt like the growth was forced. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay, so so he became Scott became even more two dim he was very two dimensional, but fun and animated and the manga and the one ups and the X Men jacket, which by the way, there's an aside there. One of the first things you influenced in our friendship is after we became friends, I you know, we met at this industry conference, we found out we were both into comics, had a debate about a Fantastic Four movie. I had this ad tech fleece, a Patagonia fleece that an ad tech company had given me. And I was getting made fun of by my friends for wearing this other company's thing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to put an X-Men patch on it, just like Scott. And there were a bunch of different color X-Men patches. And I emailed a handful of my comic book friends, which one should I get? And you were like, get the Grant Morrison one, the the yellow and black. <laughs> to this day, it is the fleece I wear everywhere. And people are like, what's the X? I'm like, clearly you didn't go to Xavier school for the gifted. So Sorry. The X Men, the Grant Morrison X Men logo was was slick. I, I like how that that bright yellow, that bright black. yellow neon. Yeah, I mean that. That being said, you know when it comes to the X Men uniforms, it's all about the the ninety the ninety uniforms with all that they had their kind of individuality there that that I haven't seen since. But that's X Men. We're <laughs> we're kind of moving moving away from Scott Pilgrim. So, what do you think about Scott Pilgrim now, having reread it? The first few volumes stand the test of time. It's very, whatever, 90s, early. It does, it's very early 2000s, but not in a way that Friends is so 90s. I don't, for geek culture, it's very early 2000s. For pop culture, not at all. You, what do you mean? What's the difference there? On Friends, they were listening to whatever the popular alternative music was. In Scott Pilgrim, they're listening to the new pornographers. Like that's literally on one of the t-shirts or pavement or something, right? There's, or if there is something super pop culture-y, it's ironically old. So it's an old yeah. Smashing Pumpkin shirt, right? Or an old X-Men jacket. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why some like those video game tropes work. They're not just kind of using the tropes of the video game mechanics of the moment. They're using stuff that's from like Super Mario Brothers, which of course preceded Scott Pilgrim by about 20 years. Uh, and one um, thing I caught on this reading it's either across one or two volumes after Scott and Ramona move in together, just like doing whether they're brushing their teeth or getting making breakfast together. He's explaining like the X-Men in the 1990s when they all go to Australia <laughs> or he's explaining Colossus's younger sister to Ramona. <laughs> and I'm just like, But yeah, it's, it's not of the moment. It's not what was happening because in a way it's Brian Lee O'Malley's love letter to those old things that he loved. Yeah, and that kind of actually gives Scott Pilgrim a timeless quality. That's the aspect that doesn't make it feel stuck in the 2000s. That even though it's steeped in pop culture, it's steeped in pop culture that was classic even 20 years ago when the book actually came out. You know, one of my favorite characters in um, the whole run, I actually got there. Here's what I'm going to say. I will say I love about Scott Pilgrim. This belongs on my other podcast, Model Minorities, which you were just on. The the Three of the women in character. I love the three women characters. Obviously, Ramona, she actually is my least favorite of the three power women, but Knives Chow and Kim Pine are awesome. They're, there's not enough. There's a lot of fleshing out of Knives because of her romantic obsession with Scott, but there's not enough of Kim. And it doesn't, I think it's like the Bechtold test or something. Most of Knives's perceptions or her story arc is around Scott 
which is unfair. But as someone who's been broken up with, like I could relate to knives. Kim, they gave you just enough about Kim to be interested and want to know more, and they never revealed much other than some flashbacks. So anyway, I like the female characters. I think the female characters are really well done. I've so here's here's my biggest issue with with Scott Pilgrim is that that the main character is to me so kind of uninteresting and dull. Mm-hmm. I actually feel almost all of the supporting characters are more interesting, and I'm not quite sure why everyone is so infatuated with Scott Pilgrim. Like I with mean, the comic really, or the character, the character. Oh yeah, okay. Why within the Scott Pilgrim universe? Why is everyone so infatuated with Scott Pilgrim, the character? He's not a particularly interesting guy. He's definitely kind of like a man child. Isn't that kind of like Seinfeld? Though that well, show. they're funny in Seinfeld. Scott Scott Pilgrim himself isn't that funny. He's just kind of no, wild. no. But like, if you go back and watch Seinfeld, Seinfeld is the least interesting character on the show. It's his friends. He's the straight man, and in a way, minus the like video game antics and him fighting the battles. Yeah, Scott doesn't yeah. have much going on. But the difference is that in Seinfeld, it's not all about Seinfeld. I mean, you see all the weird shit that George gets up into and Elaine gets up into and Constanza. You see their lives independent of Jerry's. Mm-hmm. You see that a little bit to an extent in Scott. With Knives. Knives is the with, only one. Well, you mean towards the end when she extricates himself from Scott? Or are you talking no, about... No, I mean, like, you see her dyeing her hair. But she's doing that for Scott. True, but all of her in- she has like independent flowing arcs about her going and doing stuff that doesn't happen with Wallace or Steven, even very little with Ramona, but even little with Ramona, yeah. And I feel even knives, I mean, her obsession with Scott, though. I mean, I understand that character is supposed to be upset, it, obsessed. It just feels like everything that everyone does, it's for Scott, it's in response to Scott, you know, it's like everybody in this Scott Pilgrim universe, they're their interests and lives almost revolve around Scott Pilgrim. And I didn't understand why he's not so interesting a guy to have people orbiting around him. You know, I would kind of, okay. Okay. So I want to challenge that a little bit. I, I will agree to that premise. And maybe that's why it's such a good comic because it's kind of like when you read when little kids read Batman and Robin, they related to Robin and saw themselves through his eyes. The reader me, like the late 20 year old, you know, doing the corporate thing. I saw myself in Scott with all these more interesting things happening around me, even though I was a pretty boring person, right? Yeah, I, I have think, interest and taste. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Roman, I think you're absolutely right. I think Scott is, he's like in a video game where the main character doesn't have much of a personality, but that's because you're, the, you the player, are supposed yeah. to put your personality into that character. That character is basically a, a, a camera and you're just kind of like supposed to insert yourself as the person behind it. And, and he's doing enough that. things. He's doing enough things that you're interested. Like, I like the X-Men. I want an X-Men jacket. I've explained to a girlfriend about the Siege Perilous, you know? Yeah. There's an, an element to which Scott Pilgrim, the character, is sort of like the fanboy fantasy in that he's kind of a slacker, kind of just going through his life and, you know, into geek culture. He's in a band, doesn't have much ambition, but that's okay. And he also dates all of these beautiful women. <laughs> so to me, he's definitely like a, a fantasy character where you, the reader, are supposed to insert yourself. You are supposed to be... Yeah, Scott Pilgrim, Scott Pilgrim, just like you yeah. are supposed to be Bilbo Baggins or like the lead character in a fantasy. Kind of nominal depth, nominal growth, 
as you mentioned, kind of growing up towards the end felt forced, and it was. Well, and it's high, it's high drama too. So I got into a not argument, but discussion with my wife about something that's happening of some of the politics around another podcast. And she was like, Roman, the whole world's not against you. I was like, but it feels like it sometimes. Mm. And seven evil ex-boyfriends or six or whatever the number is, that's, I mean, I think one of the titles is Versus the World or something. Yeah. That was the name of the movie. And it's all of this drama. It's actually not that big of a deal. You know, she, no, she has baggage. But to Scott, it's massive. Well, okay. So here's the other issue I had. Why is Scott? The, I know. I know Ramona engages with Gideon, and she engages with the her ex girlfriend, who has an actual fight with them for a little bit. But I've always felt that the seven evil exes—that's Ramona's battle to fight. She needs to get over it. She needs to encounter them or their specters. Really, without Scott. So I don't know. I know, like. It's Scott who's encountering it because he can't get over the fact that she has these exes and him defeating them is sort of metaphorical in that sense. The whole thing's a, it's a metaphorical concept. But it's Ramona's. It's Ram, it's, it's, it's Ram, these are, it's Ramona's baggage. I disagree. It's because flip it, right? Scott is this plain Jane guy, not that interesting. And here's this amazing woman. And he's dated some pretty interesting women as well. But, and he's been heartbroken by someone who's now a rock star, right? But who, here's this amazing woman. And, She's dated other people and his insecurity comes out. He has to get over the fact that she's dated a famous director, these two hot Japanese twins. <laughs> she had a girl phase. And I do think it's the, in a relatable sense, it's overcoming jealousy. It's overcoming insecurity. I think that's what it's all about. Like, again, obviously there's a construct of an evil, a league of evil, but Yeah. Here's my pushback. We see Scott kind of vocalize sometimes a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of insecurity, but it doesn't dominate his thinking during his relationship with Ramona. He brings it up occasionally, but he's not really tortured by it. Ramona, when she talks about her exes, in particular Gideon, you can tell that there's a lot of damage that these guys did to her. I mean, you even see that weird fantasy of hers involving Gideon. Yeah, Gideon's her envy because the... uh, Scott, I think everyone, and we could talk relationships you want, but like everyone has either the one that got away or the one that just completely obliterated their soul, right? And Ramona's was her most recent one. And Scott's, if you don't count knives, was his most recent one too. You know, he was crushed by envy. In fact, I, wow, I wonder if envy, jealousy, if that's very intentional. Yeah, but I've always felt like those, those battles are the ones, you know, it's most damaging. Envy is envy's. You know Scott's relationship with Envy is most damaging to Scott. Ramona's relationships with her various exes are most damaging to to uh, Ramona. Yeah, and that's why I've always felt it's not Scott's battle to fight. But it it wouldn't have been an interesting comic book. It wouldn't have been an interesting comic book then. How do you know that? It would have been a different comic book. It would have been Ramona's story. I guess that's fundamentally my issue. Hmm. The, fu- the central conflict is Ramona's. It's about Ramona. And yet they're, they're giving it to Scott to, in a way, kind of rescue Ramona. But I've always kind of felt that when it comes to those shitty relationships, you really kind of need to do it yourself. So, so to flip it on its head then. So one, I don't think, because they were targeting the fanboy, oh, yeah. the story about Ramona wouldn't have sold. So you would have had to make it Scott defeating his seven evil exes to... And Ramona helping him through it to 
to, to be happy, you know, to be happy with someone else, you have to be happy with yourself. And he had to get over his baggage. So he had to fight these women, you know, it's like, so just even like for, right. for the tropes of masculinity, a man has to fight the men. A man can't go beating up on women. Right. Well, here's my response to that is like, the story fundamentally really kind of wants to be about Ramona because that story, the story of, of a woman dealing with her evil ex baggage needs to focus on that woman. And the fact that that story wouldn't sell to a bunch of fanboys and you need to recalibrate that story so that it focuses on mm-hmm. the boy helping her through it all. I mean, in a way that, that almost tells you something about the community that, that Scott Pilgrim is geared for. Yeah, I'm thinking through this a little bit more too. But you know, something Ramona talks through is they weren't evil when I dated them. I mean, Ramona is apparently hot shit and all these guys couldn't get over her, so they formed a league. Yeah. Here's the other thing. The league of evil ex-boyfriends, did they actually, you know, because there's there's a question of how literally do you take what happens in Scott Pilgrim in the same way that you want to ask how literally do you take, you know, what happens in Calvin and Hobbes, right? There's an element to which, you know, in a way, it's, the answer is kind of the same. The answer is it doesn't matter, you know, because it's all kind of half of it is it, you, the collision between the, or let's just say the border between reality and metaphor is never really made clear in, in Scott Pilgrim. It's never made clear any more than it's made clear in, in Calvin and Hobbes. It's just so a bit I, I assume you're bringing this up because I told you my theory about Scott Pilgrim, right? What's your theory about Scott Pilgrim? Oh, so I finally get to put the. I actually, I hope I've written a blog post about this, but I have to get this down in the public domain. I, in my like mind, I think Scott Pilgrim is Calvin and Hobbes grown up or Calvin grown up. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And to be clear, Calvin was way smarter and he grew up into being a pretty dumb kid, but he had an imagination that was overactive in his life. The same way, is the tiger real or is the tiger not real? He talks to the tiger a lot. I never, but I never no one else Calvin was dumb. He just, he did shit. And he did dumb shit, but he was just, he was pretty. No, no, no. Like I'm thinking, I'm thinking Calvin was brilliant. Scott is dumb. Oh, Scott Calvin yeah. grew up to be a dumb Scott is what I'm saying. But it's just the um, imagination formed into reality, right? Maybe Calvin was a mutant <laughs> like, like Proteus, you know? And, uh, well, and so, so I guess where the authors was coming from, because you mentioned the, the ex-boyfriends banding together. So I kind of wonder to what extent they actually banded together, to what extent that's meant to be how Ramona perceives them and also how Scott perceives them. You know, the way you might think of all of your bad relationships, say you had five bad relationships or your your memory of it is bad because the breakup was bad. You kind of think of it as my five evil ex-girlfriends. You know, you kind of lump it all together. I did, you know, I had so, a period in my life where two of my exes became very good friends and I, it was in post-breakup mode with one of them. Or That's a weird story, but like they actually called me and like were messing with me. And I was like, you guys are evil. And this is before wait, reading. Wait, wait, how old were you? Late twenties. Oh no, early twenties. Twenty three. So they Maybe. called Scott. you. Wait, what? Tell me. What would they call you? What would they say? It's like, oh, we're hanging out with you. So one, I had been dating one for many years. So I dated one briefly in high school, early college, high school. Then I went to, and we broke up. Went to college. Dated this girl seriously for a few years. Girl number two. Then girl number two and I broke up. And girl number one and I got back together both on the rebound from respective serious exes and ended it. And I moved away to Cincinnati and they both moved to Dallas and worked at the same company and they knew of each other. Right. And they became friends 
and I was pretty emotionally raw, like the rebound of the the long term one and the the rebound one. And they became friends and they would call me and text me like, oh, we're hanging out. We're doing stuff. Oh, yeah, we're talking about you. And the torture and the pathos that it put me through uh, nearly killed me. <laughs> were, they, were they calling you maliciously? To, or were they just like, they just thought, hey, this, 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 is, this, is, this is the link back to Scott. I don't think they were. But in my mind, they had formed the League of Evil Exes. Like, <laughs> and I know that's not the case. Like, you know, we're all adults now, but it's the drama, the drama of that. Obviously, I they did not have a secret headquarters and a secret handshake and all these things. But I do think there's a literalism to the Evil Exes. It's mentioned. So that's funny. I didn't. There's so many little details I missed the first few reads. But yeah, they actually mention. Oh, I don't remember who founded the the league, but like so and so set it up. Like I think the it was Gideon. The engine, Gideon's the one who set it up. Oh, Gideon was, was the one who set it up. Oh. That makes he's sense, the one who right? invited every. Yeah, he was the guy who recruited everybody. Yeah, because he's obsessed with Ramona still. He is, and I guess yeah, and and uh, I guess some of the other exes are, but kind of to varying degrees. No, the other one, the other ones aren't. Like the first one, the Indian one from when they were kids. Yeah, I think I think he's the only one like the skateboarder guy. He doesn't care. The vegan doesn't care. He just has superpowers. Yeah, none of them care. They're, it's just kind of a job or a fun thing to do. What do you think Ramona sees in Scott? Simplicity. No just drama. a cute, dumb kid who's sweet to her, who has a fun imagination. Yeah. Do you think that's gonna last? That almost seems like a like a like a like a rebound. Like I had this, I knew this one woman. She had an ex husband. He was a psychologist, very emotionally distant. And then she started dating a guy after they broke up with somebody who was com- the complete opposite. Just really kind of very emotionally available, but to the point where he was like loud and kind of screamy. And that didn't last either because I think she she cut the pendulum swung too far the other way and then I think this woman she found somebody who was in between the two. So I kind of wonder if you know the whole thing at the end is like let's go out together and and be forever and ever and that, that always felt a little bit it, false to me especially cuz I, I see I I never understood what Ramona sees in in Scott. I don't see what the common ground is. He's a I'm, sweet I'm, kid. Like I I'm an optimist. I think every relationship you've been in informs what you oh, yeah. want and don't want out of future ones. And so for two reasons, to the measure of they've clearly both been through some shit and they detail Scott's past dating Kim, dating sort of half dating Lisa and MB and, or Natalie, I should say, and even knives like Scott's figuring out what he wants and doesn't want. And he has a little, his own little like love at first sight with Ramona. Right. But then and- with knives, it wasn't love at first sight. It was comfort. Knives was comfort. He says that straight up. Knives was comfort. Knives was easy. He was a 23-year-old going after a 17-year-old. Yeah, but he literally says, I never kissed her. It's easy. He he never kissed her. He never did anything with her. They held hands. And he was like, yeah, it's easy. So, yeah, not she's easy. It's easy, right? There's no drama, no fuss, no expectations. Because she's a um, child. As a guy so, who I, worked- I, 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 that Sorry, I just wanted that, that relationship, you know, it's one of those things I kind of, if you're reintroducing Scott Pilgrim today, would people perceive that relationship differently? You know, because at the time, it's sort of like, okay, he's 23, he's going out with a 17-year-old, you kind of make fun of him a little bit. But now, post Me Too, do you kind of think of that relationship as predatory? You're right, but 
he didn't do anything. He never kissed her. He he actually he literally says it's like I haven't done anything. He, I don't want to yeah, do anything. He didn't do anything physical, but he did kind of emotionally kind of fuck her up a little bit. I mean, she wasted a year pining after him because she thought that she had a boyfriend with this guy who was just using her temporarily until he could found something better, and then he discarded her. And yeah. I know at the end he kind of realizes what he did to her, the same way you know envy kind of made him feel like trash and discarded i just kind of wonder if that's enough i mean again he was kind of in a position to become one of knives evil ex-boyfriends you know the kind who who damages somebody so despite the fact that you're right they had no physical relationship no real physical chemistry really when they did try to kiss they both kind of pulled back i kind of wonder to what extent that absolves scott i don't think it does i think that relationship reading it today feels creepy but I think that's also the big difference between reading it in 2020 versus reading it in 2005. It's like Huck Finn. <laughs> yeah. In what way? I'm thinking because I actually probably said the wrong movie or the wrong book, I should say. Tom Sawyer? No, I mean, Twain, dude, man, that stuff stands the test of time, N-word and all. Like, it, well, it, it is it, meant it, to be. In a way, it is kind of like Tom Sawyer. He wrote Tom Sawyer as sort of like the celebration of the American centennial, glorifying things, you know, small town America. It was just a fun boyhood adventure. And then he kind of runs, goes back and then he writes Huck Finn, which is a lot darker and really kind of takes on the, the most nasty part of America, which is, you know, slavery. I mean, it kind of addresses that full on. So in a way, I mean, even Mark Twain, he, I think he kind of saw... Tom Sawyer, and then if, I, I can't remember the difference, the, the distance between Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, but years later, he looks at it and he's kind of like not happy with it. And he thinks, okay, you know, that's a book for a much different time. So, you know, I think there are aspects of Scott Pilgrim. It's kind of weird just <laughs> comparing Scott Pilgrim with Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. Well, here's how I'm going to bring it back and, and dumb us down, bring us back to like unintelligentsia. Tom Sawyer was also a song by Rush. Rush is a Canadian band. Scott Pilgrim takes place in Canada. Thank you. Thank you, Roman. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I never, you know, it's funny. I never spend any time thinking about Tom Sawyer. I mean, I guess you read him in that order in high school. You read Tom Sawyer if you're in elementary school. Yeah, yeah. But to your point, I'd almost forgotten about Tom Sawyer completely. (laughs) Other than Huck Finn was the sequel to Tom Sawyer in a way. Like Huck Finn is the one that gets everyone's mental energy. And I guess, so the reason I bring that up, we were talking about, does it stand the test of time in 2020? And I don't think it's that movie specific, but it's, yeah, there's pieces of our culture that they said and did things in it that by today's standards are not appropriate. But at the time we were okay with it. I'm also interested in his roommate, Wallace. They keep mentioning, oh, here's my gay roommate. You kind of think about when that was written. This is right after the 90s, and you're starting to see this acceptance of homosexuality. But there's still on TV, right? Right, but there's still the aspect to which being gay is the thing that defines your life. And that's why they keep bringing up. He's like in Will and Grace. The characters are gay, and that's kind of like mostly it. That's their defining characteristic, right? Yeah, and same with Wallace. He's gay. He's and a token gay a, friend. He's a token yeah, gay friend. He's a token gay friend. They keep mentioning he's gay. Even in the dialogue, he's gay. And I just think that's another thing where you'd probably end up rewriting that if you're going to reintroduce Scott Pilgrim in 2020. One of the things you texted me when you started reading it. So re- this read was the first time you read it because you had seen yeah. the movie. But not, okay. You said, and I think you're, you're dead on, 
this encapsulates that moment in time. How we saw things, how we talked about things. Almost too like, it's like almost comical. Oh, he yeah. was my gay roommate. <laughs> like, I'm dating a high school girl, you know? It encapsulates the early 2000s, I think kind of brilliantly. And part of that includes the way in which the writing has dated. It also kind of really encapsulates uh, that era in your early 20s when you don't have a lot of money, but that's okay. And you're just interested in dating different types of women or different types of boys, depending on, you know, where you're swimming. How are you reading it? Who's your Yeah. And it's okay to just be kind of like have no income and but still be in a band. It's the How um, I Met Your Mother of comic books. Yeah. I don't know. Kind of reminds me of a lot of people I knew who, when I was that age, because, you know, I went to the Columbia MFA program. There were a lot of people with a similar mindset. Let me just create art. Let me just do my thing. I love that there's like moderate cell phone usage in it. It was in an era where not everyone had a cell phone. It's a time capsule. I, th- it I think it's, it stands. Here's what I would say. When I first read it, it was the best thing I'd ever read. It was a solid A+. Never read anything like it. It blew my mind. And for that reason, it holds a place in my heart. And it stays on my bookshelf. And I own the original black and whites and blah, 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 blah. But oh, did you read it in color or black and white? Because you would have read electronics of it. I read it in color. Yeah, that's great. So again, back then, I didn't read black and white comics. And I kind of I was looking up on eBay. Maybe I should buy color editions. It'd be cooler on my shelf. Anyway, and it still retains its strength as a time capsule, but read through 2020's eyes. Yeah, it gets weaker. Like, what if I had a teenage son, would I let him read it? Maybe once he's learned a few lessons on his own, or a teenage girl, I'd let my daughter read it, but after, oh, not I, immediately. I don't think it's too wrong for teenagers to read that sort of thing. It's definitely reflective of a lot of attitudes you're going to ha- go through in your early 20s. Actually, I don't know if that's true nowadays, post-pandemic, when everyone's just freaked out. That's actually kind of another thing I I do think about. You know, it's sort of like everything that people are concerned about in Scott Pilgrim is so frivolous. And nowadays, there's just so much crap that hangs over our heads collectively as a society that I kind of wonder if it almost reads as too frivolous. It's sort of like a time when you could worry about what they're worried about in Scott Pilgrim. Here's an interesting one for the time capsule that is this podcast is I was working on a a freelance project, um, creating some training, right, for some contracted client. And in the use of stock photography for this online training that I was helping build, they were like, try not to show pictures of people out and about doing things. Because we think the new norm, and this is for a fairly major company. They were like, we don't want to, because this training is about to go out in a couple of weeks, right, that I created. What We don't want to either promote, like, going out and about with your friends or to depress people about the thing that they can't do right now. Yeah. So. That was actually very prescient of of them to, to think about that. Yeah, they're a big evil company. I can't believe I'm taking their money. But <laughs> I, 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 it's funny. When someone get, when I got the contract, I was like, sweet, you know, free money go do a training. And then I found out who it was for. I was like, oh my God, I hate these people, (laughs) but I'll do it. I I wish I had read Scott Pilgrim around the same time you did sometime between my early to to late twenties. I think it would have really resonated with me because I would have really related to what Scott Pilgrim is, was going through. I think I was kind of his age at the same time. So I think reading it for the first time at the age of 37 
I, I have a different perspective of it. And I kind of wish I had read it for the first time at a, when I could still easily relate to Scott and what what that crowd is going through. Uh, my partner, Sophie, started watching Girls recently, and I had seen the first season around the time uh, the show came out on HBO, and I liked it. And then watching it again, or watching the second and third season now, I just think, man, those people are really whiny about nothing. They're just <laughs> they're just whining all the time and complaining. And you're seeing it through the lens of adulthood. Yeah, and I kind of have the same sort of feeling with Scott Pilgrim. You know, I'm kind of like, ah, you guys are worried about this shit. Just get over it. But you know, I kind of wonder how I would have reacted if I had read it. You know, when I in, in yeah, my and, and see when I read it. When I read it as a 40-year-old man married with a kid, it takes me back because the time I read it, I was in Scott's state of mind, right? But to, I, I still have to lower my letter, my letter grade of it. When I read it, it was an A, an A+, one of the best comics I'd ever read. And now it, it doesn't have the staying power. There are some old comics, I don't know, like Kingdom Come, uh, that have slightly stronger staying power to me. There's an Ethan Hawke book that I read in my mid-20s called The Hottest State that also, you know, I, I was like prone to, if it moved me at the moment, it was the best thing ever. And that Ethan Hawke book, The Hottest State, Jhumpa Lahiri's The Namesake, Scott Pilgrim, these were things that just like spoke to me in the state of mind that I was in or of a very recent state of mind. And it just biases me so much more towards them. But again, it it holds up through the nostalgia lens, but it doesn't hold up through the relevance lens. But you know what? That's important. I mean, the nostalgia lens is, is super important. Just the way you think of maybe old Super Nintendo video games as being these great adventures. You see them again. You're just like, it's just a bunch of polygons that are blinking across the screen. What did I like so much about this? But you never forget the feeling of consuming media that hits you at an emotional level. It'll always, always stick with you. And maybe that's what's more important than being, you know, timeless and relevant always is that for one moment in time, this book or this comic grabbed you and just left a huge impression in you that you're never going to forget. That's tough to do. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of credit to, to Brian Lee O'Malley for being able to kind of reach, you know, because I don't think you're the only one who feels that way. A lot of credit to O'Malley for just being able to reach um, that segment of 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 people. Well, and, and, and that's what makes it more pop culture, successful pop culture, right? Some pop culture does stand the test of time. The Beatles were pop culture, but they stand the test of time. Name some other of their contemporaries that didn't, right? They were just as popular. They probably sold just as many records. But, you know, after the nuclear holocaust or the pandemic that kills us all, you know, people aren't going to go back and listen to everything from the era. And so maybe Scott Pilgrim won't, because if someone in 2050 picks up Scott Pilgrim for the first time, are they going to, I mean, is it going to be a Tom Sawyer kind of experience or is it a, you know what I mean? A friend of mine um, used to say that pop culture can transcend into art. Great artists who are also very big pop cultural artists, what distinguishes them is that they give the audience exactly what they want while still completely surprising them. And so to your point, like the Beatles did that. They gave the audience what they expected, but they would always just surprise people. And it would always kind of change things up. 
I don't know. Would you make that argument for Scott Pilgrim? I mean, it, it's definitely something that's very crowd pleasing in the way it's sort of like this boy, you know, boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy tries to win girl back sort of story that we've all seen. But it is told in a way. Yeah, it's very unexpected. And in a way, it kind of transcends, you know, some of the it's it's I guess it's narrative limitations. Here's here's what I'd say: where it clearly had an influence. Uh, keep coming back to like references of other things. The first Matrix movie, Bullet Time, and Three Sixty thing, like certain devices and narrative things were done. Then that broke new ground. That other people copied, adapted. It gave them the willingness to do this. And the thing Scott did was self-referential teasing references and stylistic cues from other mediums whether it's rock music the scott pilgrim versus the world soundtrack is pretty good beck did a lot of it by the way like all the sex bomb music is beck like doing it but manga influences for sure you didn't see people cross genre-ing as much prior to scott pilgrim and now it's all over the place. Even like oh. meta breaking the third wall. I mean, Deadpool was kind of doing yeah, it. Deadpool was doing it. I don't think breaking the the fourth wall. I don't think the manga influence was unusual. I mean, that was pretty popular at the time. Oh, no. I mean, it was being done in superhero comics. It was doing, being it done. Was, yeah, it was it was being done in superhero comics. But that whole style was. But so that that's the other thing. Again, other indie comics were doing it, and Scott was very much an indie one that took off. But something about it struck the chord. I mean, it's literally a story about a guy. It's what's great about manga. And again, I don't have the appreciation of manga that others do is it's not all about superheroes and ninjas and stuff. It's some manga is just about kind of like episodes of a sitcom or a drama TV show. And Scott Pilgrim reads like a TV show with fantastical comic book elements. And it was one. I think it was one of the first that did it well and became a breakout success. And now you see it all over the place. Yeah, um, that's actually, to your point, I think that's actually what makes Scott Pilgrim unique for me is that the way it incorporates the language of video games and music into a comic book. That I didn't see, you don't see as much. Alan Moore actually does that to an extent. Like when you think about Watchmen, he does kind of incorporate a whole bunch of other different genres into into Watchmen. I think Grant Morrison does that too, but not not necessarily music and video games per se, which was unique to to Scott Pilgrim. They incorporated like media that actually moved or was auditory. You know, normally when you're incorporating other genres, like in Watchmen, you incorporate like newspaper articles, all stuff that's meant to be read, you know, versus Scott Pilgrim, which play, incorporated genres that are meant to be viewed or interacted with which is actually kind of really really kind of ambitious and then incorporated it into the actual storytelling of scott pilgrim it wasn't just like you know an appendix so yeah like scott's extra life literally hmm, keeps the becomes, plot moving yeah right. exactly it's it's something that's actually crucial for scott he never uses the money that much <laughs> that he but he always complains Point. that they never they never leave that much anyway I feel like that's a metaphor for Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> it is for, for Scott, yeah, for sure. I I think I've said all I need to say about Scott Pilgrim. I, I, I will reread it in a few years. You know, one nice thing about I wish I had more time in this pandemic. I want to go reread all my Calvin and Hobbes. Like, there's so many things I want to reread, and that's what's been fun about this project is 
every other one I'm rereading something I've been wanting to revisit and think about. We could actually do. We could do, we do have you do have the complete Calvin and Hobbes, right? Cuz I have it too. We could reread that. I honestly I'm going to say I don't think I can handle it right now. Not not it's both time. Let me come back to you on that one. I I feel like we could do a podcast just on Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> like I don't think Calvin and Hobbes gets one episode. Like it's just too much. We'll figure it out. Maybe we can partition some Calvin and Hobbes and then we'll Nah, I think there needs to be a Calvin and Hobbes podcast. Like I think you could do one. We could do, I mean, we could do it. We could do it in multiple parts if you want. Yeah. Kind of like West Wing Weekly, you know? And like we would figure out like we would read it. It was a weekly. I don't think you would do a weekly based on one strip, but you know, like story arcs. All right. I'm good with Scott Pilgrim. I, I don't I don't have much more to say. Do you any parting thoughts? I just one thing I I thought that was kind of neat is how Scott Pilgrim, kind of like Rusty Brown, which we reviewed, kind of shows how can I put this? How people's points of view can be mistaken you know like in rusty brown you have a lot of characters who see things one way and then it's kind of revealed later on how that way is actually kind of distorted and you kind of see that with scott pilgrim with the memory cam where characters have sort of one perception of a relationship and then they learn later on wait a minute that's not how it actually was so it's interesting both both chris ware and brian leo malley kind of playing with memory I mean, the way people and perception, the way you perceive things, both the very, very different comics, but it was kind of cool to see them both kind of playing with that, that idea. Well, it, it's a part of the human condition, you know? Yeah. And so maybe that's why. No, absolutely. Great. Yeah. yeah. Um, All right. So cool. next week. Yeah. Your weird Japanese pandemic indie thing. What's it called? It's called Uzumaki. It's a three volume Japanese manga. And it's about a high school girl who's growing up during a time of, I won't say it's a pandemic, but very strange things are happening in her town. So here's what I'd say. If you're listening to this, go pick up, how do you say it? Uzumaki? Uzumaki. U-Z-U-M-A-K-I. Pick it up. I don't know how you're going to pick it up. I was lucky enough to get it from the library before the library shut down. I assume it's available online or you can order it from Amazon and get it in the month. Or actually order it on eBay or somewhere else. Like support a non-Amazon thing. You can probably get it in a week. Maybe you'll get it in time. Because go read it yourself and come back to here. And uh, I, Raman, I know I know your schedule isn't always yours to control. But if you can, I would say read this one kind of slowly and gradually. It's a bit of a slow burn. It's not something right. that you really want to rush through. All right. No binging. And that's our show. Like no binging. Heard, I promise. Please no subscribe. Take share this with one friend, slow. And let it review on Apple, and Spotify, or wherever bones. you get your fine podcasts. Got a suggestion? Shoot us a note. QTDcomics at gmail.com. We give you a social media handle, but we're old, and frankly, that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe. And remember, Zang is Cantonese for excellent.